Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm Jared Bremmett, audio engineer and editor, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. In this episode, we're diving into the next installment of our study in Philippians. This is a message that Rob delivered at Warren Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. As always, we'd like to invite you to visit robertjmorgan.com, where you'll find Rob's blog post, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Thank you, Dr. McKinley. What a wonderful pastor you have. <laughs> I love this man. Thank you, my brother. I love you. I do. Thank you. If I, it's almost worth moving to Augusta to be under his ministry. And I've thought about it. And when I see what's happening here, uh, I'm especially touched by the ministry you have to special needs children. I've got a special needs grandson. And that has really impressed me to see what's happening here. And the conference for men, I will echo everything Pastor McKinley said. It was when I saw those men coming forward to give their lives to Christ, it reminded me of what I've read recently about the revivals on these college campuses. A touch of that was here, and it was a very powerful conference, and I enjoyed all of the other speakers. It was, uh, it was just been a very enriching time for me to be here. So thank you all and for being here on this time change morning. We do have a number of copies of this left. It's the Jordan River Rules. This is a smaller print edition. The printer made a mistake on it, and so we're almost giving these away. They retail for $18, and we're selling them for 5 But you can buy multiple copies. They're good for uh, giving to graduates, to giving to people who are relocating, to giving to new families or new couples or whatever it is. Any life transition, because the children of Israel... We're transitioning to a new stage at the Jordan River when they crossed over into the promised land, and that's what this is about. And these other books, some of them are out there. We're running low on a couple of them, but I hope that you'll check them out. I do a Bible teaching podcast, and I would love for you to subscribe to it wherever you get podcasts. It's simply called the Robert J. Morgan Podcast. Not a very original title. It was my son-in-law that called it that, and he produces it, but anyway, if it's, I just go through the, uh, the Bible teaching. Right now, I'm in Philippians, and actually, the message I'm giving today is what I'm coming to in that series of episodes on the podcast, and if you are on social media, then follow along. It's either Robert J. Morgan or Robert J. Morgan uh, Ministries on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and if you're a parent and you want to begin teaching your children family devotions, I put a one-minute Bible study every day on those platforms. And so, if you don't know how to get into family devotions, you can always say, let's see what Pastor Morgan has to say today, and ask your kids a little about it afterwards, and then have prayer with them, and it's an easy thing to do. When I write a book, I am, well, I'm a perfectionist. It's a terrible curse to be a perfectionist. 
And so I will write, especially the introduction, because when people go on Amazon, you know, and they let you have a sample, usually it's the introduction that they have there. And so every word has to be just right. And I will write it and rewrite it, print it out and rewrite it, print it out and rewrite it until I get it just as perfect as I can be. Sometimes I've gone through 50 different drafts for it. And then the book is published, I get it in my hand, and I, the first time I read it, I think, I could have said that better. I could have said that better. I just think there is nothing that I have done in my life that is perfect. And there's nothing perfect about your life. As hard as we try, we are living in an imperfect world and everything about us is imperfect. And that's hard to deal with because we want everything to be ideal and it isn't. Your marriage just isn't perfect. It may be very good, but your husband is not perfect. He may be a great guy. Your wife is not perfect. Your children, bless their hearts, are not perfect. Your church, as wonderful as this one is, is not perfect. Your school, your athletic career, your golf game, nothing in this life is perfect except for this one book. Nothing is perfect except for that. And so we have to learn how do we go through life wanting the ideal situation, but we have all of this imperfection surrounding us all the time. Well, there is a passage in the book of Philippians that I think really helps us with that. And I'd like to show you this. It's a strategy for imperfection. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And I'll begin in a moment with verse 2. Philippians, I was on a plane once. And I'd been studying this passage. And the lady sat beside me. She was a lady with a lot of, she had clothes and makeup and, and a big purse the size of a carry-on and everything. And so she asked me what I was doing. And I said, I'm going to go somewhere and speak. And she said, what about? And I said, the Bible. Oh, she said, I remember something about the Bible. She said, once in school, I did a recitation, and I think it was from the Bible. She said, it was from Philippians. <laughs> I said, do you mean Philippians? And she said, yes. And I said, was it, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything give thanks. And she began to cry. And the makeup went everywhere, and she reached into that big bag and was desperately searching. I almost had a real crisis on my hands. But it's the book of Philippians and chapter 4. Now, the church in Philippi was a wonderful, wonderful church. It was one of the best in the New Testament. Paul had established it in the book of Acts in chapter number 16, and he had really literally shed his blood to establish that church. It was made up of Lydia, who was a very wealthy businesswoman, and then on the other end of the social spectrum, there was uh, the slave girl, and then there was a jailer and his family, and there were probably some ex-cons who had been saved. Uh, and so we have this group coming together 
and they are just really an ideal church, and they were very generous. And from the moment that Paul left them, they supported him financially. They were the best church in the New Testament when it comes to giving. And we know this because of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Paul said, of all of the churches that I've ever dealt with, the ones in Macedonia, which would have been primarily the church in Philippi and also in nearby Thessalonica and Berea, they are the model churches for giving. And they've gone down in all of church history for 2,000 years for their generosity. Every church learns to be generous and give on the basis of what this church in Philippi did. And so it was a wonderful church. And when Paul wrote to them, he didn't have any major issues here to deal with. He was basically thanking them for sending him another gift while he was in prison. But it was not perfect. And so he says in verse number two, I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syndica to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So he says some wonderful things here about these women. Their names are in the book of life. They have worked together with me. They have contended with me for the gospel. But they're having a real disagreement here. And it's affecting the church and they're at odds with one another. And see if you can't settle that. So it wasn't a perfect church. There is just nothing perfect about our lives. And sometimes we expect too much of one another and we get disappointed. This happens to couples when they get married. You know, when you're dating and you're in love and you get married, you're looking at the other person in an ideal way. But then after the wedding, you begin to see my husband isn't as perfect as I thought, or my wife has some issues here that I didn't know about. So we are living in this state of imperfection, and so were the Philippians. But what do you do? Well, Paul gives us here a series of very short injunctions about how to live with imperfection. Paranesis is the word to describe those well, it's a literary word to describe when a writer begins to use bullet points. And when Paul got to the end of some of his letters, I don't know whether he was running out of parchment or whether he just decided now he wanted to sum up, but he began just giving bullet points. And so we call that a paranesis. And in the book of 1 Thessalonians, you know, this is children love to go there to memorize scripture because the verses are so short. Rejoice always which is the shortest verse in the Bible in the Greek. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Test the spirits and so forth. Just a list of things. Well, that's what he's doing here. And he gives us a five-bullet-pointed strategy for dealing with imperfection. The first thing he says is to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So what do you do when things are imperfect in your life? You just, first of all, make up your mind that you're going to rejoice. You're going to be joyful. 
Now, we can't rejoice in the imperfection. He doesn't say rejoice in your situation. He doesn't say rejoice in that division. He doesn't say rejoice that your kids are having trouble. He says, if your kids are having trouble, then rejoice in the Lord. Because you do have a perfect Lord. I mean, he is absolutely perfect in every way. We've been singing about it. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. There is no imperfection in him. So if you can't rejoice in your circumstances, you can certainly rejoice in your Lord. If you can't rejoice in your load, you can rejoice in your Lord. Now, where did Paul get this idea? It's nowhere in the Gospels. It's nowhere in his other writings. I mean, that phrase, rejoice in the Lord. But it comes from the Old Testament. And David used it, and some of the others did in the Psalms. I looked it up once. I think it is used 12 different times in the Old Testament. And Paul, who was a great student of the Old Testament, found that phrase, and he just wove it into this book. Now, Philippians has a lot of references to joy, 16, really, all together. But here is this great definitive phrase, rejoice in the Lord. And the most vivid Old Testament example of this is in the book of Habakkuk. I don't know if you've read the prophet Habakkuk, but it's only three chapters. In chapter one, Habakkuk says, Lord, everything in my life is going wrong. And my whole society around me is descending into chaos. And the Lord answers him and says, in effect, it's going to get worse. And Habakkuk says, Lord, I don't understand. How can you even let that happen? And the Lord comes back. It's really a conversation between Habakkuk and the Lord. And the Lord says, those who follow me have got to trust in me. The just shall live by faith. Keep your eyes on me and live by faith. Give it time and remember that I'm in my holy temple. The whole world is quiet before me. And Habakkuk, Habakkuk he, uh, some people say Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk, but Habakkuk says, well, then I, what can I do except praise you? And so the third and last chapter is a hymn that he composed of praise. And at the end of chapter 3, it's maybe, in my opinion, it's the most vivid or visual description of faith anywhere in the Bible. I mean, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So maybe that's the most vivid. But, but Habakkuk said, even if there are no sheep in the fold and no cattle and the stall, even if the crops fail and the fields do not produce their produce, and even if the grape vine shrivels up and there are no olives on the olive tree, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. If everything goes wrong, I can at least rejoice in the Lord. And he went on to say in the very final little bit of the book, the Lord God is my sovereign ruler. He gives me feet like a mountain goat that allows me to tread on the heights. 
So that's where this little phrase, rejoice in the Lord, comes from. So Paul picked it up out of there, and he says, rejoice in the Lord, and he adds this little adverb, always. When should you rejoice in the Lord? You should be rejoicing right now. And when you leave to go home, and after you have your Sunday nap, and tonight before you go to bed. And there should be this, this joy in the Lord, which is like a perpetual fountain rising up within us. Now, I'm melancholic by nature, and it's taken me a long time, I mean like seven decades, to begin to touch this subject. But what has helped me more than anything else is going through the Bible and finding all of the times the Bible talks about joy. I mean, you wouldn't believe how often that theme is woven into the Bible. I have looked up the words joy and rejoice and cheer and merry and even the word blessed, which means uh, happy. Those words are listed about a thousand times in the Bible. And if I get discouraged, I just go through the Bible and find my joy verses. The joy of the Lord is your strength, it says. And in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. I remember once in my ministry, I was so discouraged and I was doing everything with as much faithfulness as I could. And I felt good about doing things faithfully, even though I didn't have any, you know, I was. And then I saw Psalm 100. It's not enough to serve the Lord faithfully. We're to serve the Lord with joy. It's like a marriage. You can be faithful to your wife or to your husband, but if there's no joy there, it's not good enough. So we are to serve him with joy. And I go through the Bible and I find all of these references. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that you might have joy and as I look up these references, somehow my heart is blessed and my attitude changes. And as you do it over a period of years, you keep coming back and say, Lord, I need to be reminded of joy. Then somehow your personality is changed by those verses. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing is by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson, and Luke Tyler condenses and posts each of these episodes as blogs on my website at robertjmorgan.com, where you can find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis and Elijah Rowe. Please share this podcast with somebody else. Thanks for tuning in, and may God be with you until we meet again.